These computers give us instant access to the state of the world. Troop movements, Soviet missile tests, shifting weather patterns. It all flows into this room and then into what we call the Whopper computer. Whopper, what is that? It's a war operation plan response. This is uh, Mr. Richter. Paul, would you like to tell these gentlemen about the Whopper? Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 252 and our movie this week is 1983's War Games and here to talk with me about it. She had not seen it before. It's Kit London. Kit, how you doing? I'm fabulous. How are you? I am doing all right. I'm doing all right. So so, okay, tell me, what is your history at all with War Games prior to watching it for this show? Um, It was always on regular TV, like TNT or mm-hmm. something. And I didn't want to watch it with commercials, but it was one of those movies my dad really liked. Okay. And uh, all I knew was, I didn't know how that came about. I actually had it kind of wrong, but I knew that the way to win was not to play. That's the only okay. thing I knew. All right. All right. So I had seen this movie before, but it was a long time ago and I haven't watched it since. So there was a few things I just completely forgot about while I was watching it this time, um, mm. which was kind of fun for me. But uh, this movie Yay. is kind of one of those uh, classic 80s. And it's it, when you think about or when people discuss movies where hacking is involved. Um, this is usually brought up in that list of like good hacking movies, um, or at least decent, uh, mm-hmm. hacking and computer stuff, cyberspace, any of that kind of thing never gets done perfectly in a movie because let's face it, just watching a bunch of, uh, people sitting in a basement, poking at a keyboard is not going to be very entertaining to watch. So you tend to get very stylized views of that. Some of them yeah. work better than others. Um, <laughs> and it was new at the time, too, I think, too. Like, mm-hmm. this was like a foreign concept. <laughs> oh, yeah. In fact, uh, this movie is partially responsible for, because technically, uh, hacking into or logging onto the computer um, that David does in this movie is not technically illegal um, mm. at the time that this came out. That wasn't a crime yet. There were other things you did that were, um, and obviously the military doesn't want you doing that, but like they made, uh, and I, I forget what the, the law was called. It was in the trivia. Somebody, uh, it got mentioned somewhere, but, um, there was a law that came out of it, uh, that, that th- was referenced. This movie was referenced as part of why we need that law, um, for, because if you think about it prior to something like this, most computer systems, people didn't have computers in their homes prior, you know, right. not not nowhere near, obviously nowhere near what we have now, but even nowhere near what they, they came to in the late eighties into the nineties, home computers weren't really a thing. And so most people thought, no, nobody's going to log into a computer system that isn't an authorized user because they just don't have the equipment for it. Um, so it just wasn't thought of, but this movie kind of helped with that. And what I like is that it, it very much looks at the computer's uh, mostly fairly realistically in terms of kind of how they were working at the time. 
Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the, there's an artificial intelligence aspect to it that's a little bit beyond what they may have had capabilities for um, in 1983 and, and even today. But, you know, it's a movie, so you're going to play a little fast and there's going to be a little hand waving. Um, right. But what did you think as a uh, seeing it now, I guess, 40 years after it came out? Uh, what did you think of it just as a movie? Did you have a good time watching it? Oh, yeah. I loved it. It was great. And I can also see, like, yeah, the technology is old, but we're still having that conversation, though, that um, the main computer guy and the general was having about the AI versus human. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. we're, we're still having those conversations. Like, they, yeah, they look different. The technology is different, but that conversation is still the same. Regardless, you know, it's not about nuclear, but it's are the computers yeah. taking humans jobs and can the computer do it better be, you know, than a human, but a human has those tendencies where you can stop things, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I found that very fascinating. Yeah. And what I like, so the writers of this um, actually went on to write sneakers a few years later. Um, and I don't know if you've ever seen that, but that's got okay. some that's got some yes. hacking stuff in it as well. That's really good. Um, and they did a mm-hmm. lot of research. Uh, they learned a lot of stuff. None of it's not 100% accurate, but it's more accurate probably than not. And it gets the, it kind of like my favorite hacking movie is hackers. And that movie gets some flack from some people who want to rail that, Oh, it's not realistic. Well, no, it's not. And they didn't try to make it realistic. They, they, <laughs> made it interesting to watch but they also that movie a lot of what it got right was that it got the culture of the hackers and kind of what they were doing right because especially in the 90s it was a lot of that free information everything should be open type of conversation it was very Mm -hmm. very much digital hippies in a lot of ways um where you know Mm -hmm. cyberspace it didn't matter who where you came from or who you were in the real world who you were in the computer was 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 something different. And that's what I think this movie got right was like, David is just a high school kid. He's a smart kid. Um, he's really into computers, but he's just a kid. And all he wanted to do was play some games. He wanted to grab some game programs from a company and play them. And he accidentally nearly starts world war three because of it. Right. Oh, but he, he wasn't, didn't just want to play games. He did want to do that, but he also wanted to press the girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Which that was a thing that I'd forgotten. Like I knew, you know, he was trying to impress Ali Sheedy. And then, uh, I had, what I'd forgotten was they have the whole scene in the beginning where he's hacking into the different computers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he books the flight to um, or the reservation for their flight to Paris for two and all that. And mm-hmm. then later in the movie that comes back to bite him because mm-hmm. that's part of why uh, the military believe doesn't him. believe him. Like mm-hmm. I loved that. I thought that was a really smartly written thing because it's easy to just make that a throwaway and never right. mention it again. But to bring that back, it's like, Oh no, they are paying attention. They do like, because you know how it is in movies you have military or police are one of two things they're either uh overbearing and um draconian or they're completely useless Mm -hmm. and in this case they weren't really either of those like the military wasn't 
terrible in this. They just didn't know, like it was, it was a, it was a new era and they were trying to figure out how to fit into that while also being mm -hmm. in the midst of the cold war, like all that kind of stuff going on. But they weren't, they also weren't like, he like Dabney Coleman's character didn't believe David at first and the, the military people weren't like they weren't on David's side. He had to, you know, sneak his way out of NORAD and all of that. But he also did, I mean, he hacked into their computer, their, their billion dollar computer, however much it was a thing that they thought shouldn't have been able to happen. So they're going to respond accordingly because again, he almost launched nukes. Uh, fairly important right so and that was in my that was in my notes that's a, the one thing though the the military had and dabney coney's uh character was ego that mm -hmm. they don't believe him because i am the smart scientist there's no way this high schooler is smart enough or smarter than me to get into my system yeah that that tends to carry over in all the I find that to be kind of a trope that the military and the scientists, they ha all have is that ego that this can't happen, especially by a high schooler. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so not only that, that but consistent. like, yeah. And, and I think this movie may have created that trope, the trope of like the mm -hmm. really gifted high school type kid who can break into the system. Uh, but then mm -hmm. nobody believes him when he's when he's like, no, I didn't do what you think. Like, I mean, that trope got used in Hackers, the movie with Joey. Joey breaks into a bank, yeah. but he didn't do all the other stuff. It was somebody else. So I think this movie may have started that. I'm not positive, but I just liked how I liked how the military people, Dabney Coleman and the, the general um, were never the antagonists. They weren't like they were the antagonists, but they weren't the bad guys. They were just they were trying to figure out what the hell happened and um, just just trying to, like, save face and stop nukes from happening. Um, but they were never like they were antagonizing evil. each other, though. <laughs> they yeah, were definitely true. on two different sides of the playing field, you know, and then they <laughs> yes. had to come together where, hey, this is your system. The general's like, hey, this is your stuff what why is it going wrong what's going on you know and yeah mm -hmm. they, they were definitely against each like, they were fighting more against each other than they were with david yeah yeah david just kind of got caught okay. in the middle of all of it yeah um, so i had a few uh i had a few things while i was watching so one of the things i completely forgot that opening scene first of all the, the opening scene with the two guys showing up to, you know, switch out uh, shifts uh, uh -huh. is great. But I had completely 100% forgotten that John Spencer and Michael Madsen were those two guys, like a very young yeah. Michael Madsen. Um, I didn't, I actually didn't recognize him at first. It took me, it was a minute or two into that scene and I kept looking at him and I kept squinting. I'm like, is that, is that Michael? I couldn't, I wasn't sure. And uh, sure uh -huh. enough, it was. Um there was a lot Art of character actors in this I recognized from other stuff. Yeah, Art LaFleur, the voice. Yes. I was like, I know that voice. Why do I know that voice? I'm like, <laughs> and I, so, you know, I did my Googling afterwards. And uh, yeah, it's a guy, it's a babe from the Sandlot. Yep. Heroes yep, get remembered, he but legends never die. I was like, that's, that's right. That's classic line there. So I and, know his uh, voice. <laughs> yep. 
I loved I loved seeing him uh, again, Spencer and Madsen, and then. On top of that, I love the fact that they're coming in, they're they're changing shifts, and they're sitting here just talking about the weed. He's talking about the this woman that grows weed and how great it is, and they're just going is on. Is that and what they're talking suddenly, about? I wasn't sure. Yeah, I, I have a bit of audio capture from that. I'll play it later. Um, but yeah, they're just he's talking about that, and then you know all of a sudden, ooh, we've got a missile detection launch order thing going on. So it's like, oh. Before we get there, I love the urinating sign that anybody who's caught <laughs> urinating here is going to be discharged. <laughs> that was great. Oh, whoever, like, why, I don't. Why would you be peeing in the hallway, but okay. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm hoping that that was just like somebody having a fun joke. There's I hope so too. The set. Uh, but I, I did like that. Um, and I love, so they're doing all that. And then I forgot how tense that scene was yeah. too. Like it's. That that whole opening scene by the end of it, oh, it's yeah. rough. I felt it. I was like, and then they cut off, and I'm like, oh my god, did he turn the key? I thought it was real. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and then we're like, and like, and my note happened. Did he turn the key? Did you shoot him? <laughs> right. And my note was, and we never hear from about the about those two ever again. Which we end up seeing we're, them later. Uh, right. When they're swapping out. Uh, and I was happy. I was like, in. oh, okay, he's still alive. Like, okay. <laughs> Okay, good. His partner didn't shoot him. Good. Um, yeah, I. My first I, thing was, why do we need guns down there? But okay, sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's the military. You know, they got to take guns everywhere. It seems. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also, uh, I did think, and tell me what you think about this, because it does feel consistent with the era that this movie was made, but. After that tense opening scene like that, and we've got the, I mean, you know, they're just covered in flop sweat. They're pulling guns on each other, all this kind of stuff. And then the mm -hmm. music that plays for the opening credits felt yep. really discordant. Like it's this upbeat, cheery kind of military style march almost. And I was like, it, it was a little jolting, you know what I mean? Like yeah. kind of like a cell, shell shock because like you said, you're in this tense movie, there's sweat, there's guns pulled, and then it just like drops you. Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. Like, oh, okay. We're happy now, but wait, <laughs> what happened? Is he alive? Like, and like, it does, you know, it is sort of a, I mean, it is a comedy in some ways uh, as mm -hmm. well. And the director of this, John Badham, uh, had done or did do a couple of years later, short circuit. That yes, was another one. Of I his saw movies. that. And I'm like, I love that movie too. Mm -hmm. So that's where I kind of get that same tone, that same feeling of like, Short Circuit mm -hmm. is like that. It's got moments of seriousness, but it's very lighthearted as well. And the music kind of fit there. And I don't know. I'm going right. to look because the music in this was Arthur B. Rubenstein. <clears throat> I don't know if he did Short Circuit or not, but he did work with mm -hmm. um, John Badham a number of times because he also worked on Stakeout and Nick of Time, which were both his movies. So it's quite possible. Yeah, he um, directed yeah, I just... um, Saturday Night Fever too, right? Yes. Yep. That was his. Um, so that was one of those where that music started playing. I'm like, this doesn't feel like the same movie I was just watching, but okay, sure. We'll just go with it. Um, yeah, he did not it, do wait. Uh, no, I don't see him as doing the music for short circuit. So, but that's okay. Hmm. Um, but was it same? Um, I can see the same pace, like with the same director though, that it's upbeat, mm -hmm. tense, upbeat. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, it has his look and kind of fingerprints on it. Um, mm -hmm. So we mentioned the trope of like the smart high school kid that's an underachiever that uh, gets himself in trouble. Um, this movie has another mm -hmm. one of my favorite tropes, which is I love the trope of a good old boy, high ranking military officer, a general or an admiral or somebody like that who's he's he's that level but he's sitting there chewing tobacco and you know he's got the oh. he's, general tex is what i like to call that trope where it's like you can they're they, they're southern and they've always got some sort of southernism that they're using and just mm -hmm. the way they talk oh yeah and later in one of the scenes he's sniffing a stogie mm -hmm. <laughs> he has yeah. a big old cigar <laughs> yeah i don't know why i like that because it's such a dumb trope but I just love it. I love anytime you've got a, a general that's like that or an admiral or whomever. Ooh. So we have the 80s trope of the aloof parents too. Like yeah. those parents had no idea what was going on. <laughs> Not a clue. Also, how much money do those people make? Because my goodness, right. they had a big house with that I computer, all that, all that equipment they that had. Equipment? Like, that's what I was thinking. It's like, dang. <laughs> Like none of that was cheap um, at all. We know mm -mm. they both work. We know that. So that was a that was a thing, right? Because mm -hmm. still, even even still in the early '80s, that was not a uh, hundred percent common yet for both mom and dad to be working. Um, so the fact that they both worked, and she's apparently, I I think she's like real estate or something, is what it sounded like on the phone. Yeah, because she had Century um, Twenty One. Um, Real estate. She had the real estate agent. Oh yeah. Okay. Catch on. And dad is just typical eighties father. Um, he just seems like he just no clue what's going on, but yeah, they, they didn't have nope. a, a single clue what was going on with their son at all. Um, and then on top of nope. that, we never see them again. Like when he, nope. from the time, <laughs> from the time he gets picked up by the FBI, that's it. We've we haven't we don't see the parents again. We hear them mentioned twice, and that's yeah. McKidrick says we called them and let them know everything's fine, as long Which... as you cooperate. But I'm like, what are they thinking though? <laughs> that's what I was. No saying. doubt. No doubt. Because and they I'm... they also don't know he doesn't go to school for a week. Right. Ali Sheedy comes find him like, oh, you haven't been to school all week. Didn't they call? <laughs> like... Yeah. Um, you would think, you would think the school would, cause they, I mean, this is still back in the day when they mailed yep. your report card to your house. So your parents could and they had sign, to sign it. it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I remember that. Um, so that was the kind of like, it's just, it's crazy, but not only that. So like, obviously there's a lot of hand wavy stuff in this movie, right? There's a lot of movie mm -hmm. stuff, but I think the most unbelievable, the biggest leap of faith you have to make is that, is that the FBI would effectively abduct a minor and then drive them across state lines because they picked him up in mm -hmm. Seattle and they took him to Colorado. They took him multiple states away because that's where NORAD right. is. <laughs> I, I didn't like, realize that until they said that. He said he's in Colorado. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. They went pretty far. But that I was also the point didn't realize- like, All right. I guess I can let that go, yeah. but it's just crazy. That was one thing I didn't like. It took me a while to figure out. I didn't know where they were. 
um mm. it took a second watching like when i was because i let it play in the background you know to rewatch it and ca- maybe catch some things and make some more notes and um yeah i didn't realize in the beginning they were in seattle oh okay yeah, they do that establishing shot, and they do have the space needle there, and that's what gave that away for me. Because at first I thought he was in California, and then I was, I like, was no, in Chicago because that's where the um, reservations were from. Was from Chicago yeah. O'Hare to Paris, right? Yeah, they never they never say it outright. So, um, but uh, yeah, they just have that establishing shot. But you're right if you if you're not paying attention or you look away for a second, you don't see that shot, it would be really confusing because mm-hmm. he's calling places in California. They're talking about Chicago. Now he's in Colorado. He's got to go to Oregon. Yeah. I have a they question. shot it all in California. So how many games? I didn't, I wasn't able to. I saw Mrs. Pac-Man, but how many of the games did you know in the arcade? <laughs> oh man. So there was the Miss Pac-Man, obviously Galaga, Galaxian. I know that one, what he was playing. Is that what he was playing? Yeah. Okay. In fact, uh, according to trivia, again, grain of salt, um, they sent him a cabinet to practice on uh, Matthew Broderick before oh, the movie. Cool. So he got to, he was playing it for a little while before the movie. So it could be convincing that he was good. And I kind of like that they, mm-hmm. the way they shot that, where you're watching the game, but you're seeing his reflection. Um, mm-hmm. Because obviously at that point, you really, there's no way to, comp that in there's no digital composition everything has to be done in camera right so um you know he has to actually be standing in front of that cabinet so i liked i like the look right. of that but yeah um which is why i kind of believe that they may have secured a cabinet and kind of sent it to him and be like here practice with this so you you look the part because there's other stuff they did to kind of fake some of the computer stuff mm-hmm. like i did read where the computer in his house was programmed so and we never see the them actually typing but mm-hmm. it was programmed to just display regardless of the keys that were pressed so it was like a programmed okay. thing going on there which makes sense um right but that was all that was all real equipment um that was all real computer equipment of the time uh the only thing that wasn't functional was the acoustic coupler the thing he would put the handset down in Okay. Um, oh yeah. Which that was a real device. Those existed, but that particular one was mm-hmm. just there visually to show you what was going on. He actually had like a straight modem on top of his computer. Um, but I loved, I loved all of that. I love the old tech. He's got the big eight inch floppy disks that he's got to put in and he had the, the speaker that could play yep. the computerized voice, the modem, the big, you know, green monitor, uh, all that was just awesome. Huge. I love the old uh, real fed dot matrix printers with the two-tone mm-hmm. paper. That was, yeah, I, that I sounds that. so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember Took always me- fighting with the, the sides to get the, cause if that thing got off, it was a mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, it was, it was horrible. Everything was terrible at that point. Um, I love that. I love all that old uh like retro tech like that so it's just cool seeing yep. it in a movie and seeing it used in a movie in a proper way right mm-hmm. he's like no flip on the printer i want to get a print out of what i'm seeing here and like all that kind of stuff i just loved all of that um but i really love the acoustic yeah. oh yeah i enjoyed it too um so i also liked it in there the 
80s montage like he's using like i was like oh the library index <laughs> cards yep. and oh, yeah. microfish and mm -hmm. it's like i yes. remember those <laughs> i do so too and that down, was like, yeah <laughs> like he's got to go through the card catalog to find the name to ask the librarian to get him books by this you know these books and just all that that was mm -hmm. so oh that that took me back to i can remember doing all that kind of stuff so that was really cool yep um and it, it also is a quick way to show mm -hmm. that because we had we established that david is intelligent and he's resourceful he's just not a good student mm -hmm. right in school but outside of that when he wants to be he can be a good student and so i liked that and i even liked you know little things like him knowing where they wrote down the password for the computer because back then mm -hmm. again because at the time the thought was never worried about people that weren't authorized to use computers using them the security wouldn't be the same so it's real easy for that on top of that i mean i know people still today that write their passwords down because they're gonna forget them so it was one of those like okay that made total sense and uh, i loved all of that um, in some ways, I think he gets himself sent to the principal's office just so he can check the that, password every couple of weeks. I had, I had the same idea because he <laughs> knew where to look and that's what he tells him because oh, they change it every couple of weeks. So I'm like, oh, so that's why you get yourself sent to the office. Okay. <laughs> yep. Uh, by the way, his teacher, um, in that, uh, in that scene where he, uh, he has the, the great line of, um, your wife. When, uh, when the teacher's asking mm -hmm. that, uh, actor, that's another good, uh, character actor. He was, uh, it's Alan Blumenfeld who I recognize. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. He was in like heroes series. He was in a bunch of things. There was a lot of those, right? There was a lot of faces in this that I saw and I'm like, Hey, I've seen you Ton. before. Um, yeah. Where do I know you from? Why do I know yeah. you? Why do I know your voice? <laughs> Cause you had, uh, like I did that a lot. The two. The two guys that go to NORAD to um, to talk to Dabney Coleman, uh, one of them was in mm. Under Siege as like a wormy U.S. Uh, senator guy or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. And you had uh, um, Barry uh, Barry Corbin, who's the general, is another one of those guys. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. Yep. He, he reminds me he's from Texas. And if you look at his IMDb and you look at a lot of the stuff he's done in the last like 10, 15 years, it's all playing just old Texas guys and like Westerns <laughs> and movies where he's on a yep. ranch or something. But he's like, he reminds me of um, Noble Willingham is another actor that's like him where he's just, he's a Texan and he's always playing that same type of character, mm -hmm. uh, that kind of no nonsense Texas guy. So he's great. He was only 43 in this movie Barry Corbin was wow which he's so I mean if you go by his uh one of the trivia things cracked me up was somebody went through and listed what all of his medals were on his uniform oh okay in the trivia cool. and they said that based on those medals he would have had a service record of about 43 years and or 42 years <laughs> of service and Barry Corbin was 43 right. when they made the movie so um, right <laughs> entire lifetime yeah um oh uh he was definitely voice well I decorated yes he was uh uh his aide by the way 
um, the guy that just followed him around and would always like hand him the phone. Yeah. And stuff. That was, he was played by Michael Ensign. Do you recognize him? I did, but I couldn't figure out where I'm like, I know cool. this man's face. So the next year, the year after this movie came out, he was in Ghostbusters. He was. Oh. Yeah. He's the concierge at the hotel they go to when they wreck everything. And he's like, it's ridiculous. I won't mm -hmm. paint. I know. Like, yes. I always, I see him in stuff and it's just like, that's that dude from Ghostbusters. Like, I just can't, it's, it's so burned in my brain who he is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was like the year before that. Um, I mentioned John well, Spencer and Michael Madsen. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Dabney, uh, how do you say his last name? Coleman. Coleman. Nine to five. Always. Yep. He will he... always be in nine to five. He's also in You Got Mail, and I, I like him a lot. But for me, the iconic yeah. role he plays is nine to five. <laughs> that is one. He tended to play villains a lot. Mm -hmm. especially in that era for some reason there was something about him where he would play villains but not always like sometimes like nine to five he's definitely a villain in this he's an antagonist but he's kind right. of just he's not like a terrible terrible person he's just got a lot of ego and he just he just doesn't know what's going on um i remember him all right. the time from did you ever do you ever see the uh the dragnet movie with dan Aykroyd and tom hanks yes but came out a while. like Okay, it came out in like 87. He played, Dabney Coleman is in mm -hmm. that as a like Hugh okay. Hefner type character. He He's the owner of the, the magazine <laughs> um, called Bait. And uh, he, for whatever reason, in that movie, he has this weird lisp that he, they just gave him for that movie. And so mm -hmm. all the time, I will, I will quote, there's a moment in that movie where they say something to him and his response, his comeback is just, well, you say... And it's with that lisp. He's saying, you say, but mm -hmm. I hear it. At, I just always hear that in, in that lisp for him. So even when I see him in something like this, I'm like, oh, that's right. He doesn't naturally have that. It's not his natural speaking. Right. To, to have that lisp. <laughs> that's, yeah. um, I'll have to rewatch that one. Oh, it's, it's so dumb, but it's so much fun. Uh, okay. Here's a voice. Did you recognize the voice of the, so when David takes, um, David and Jennifer go to like the college or whatever, or not the college necessarily, but wherever all the computer people are. And he goes to talk mm -hmm. to the guys with his printout and he, there's mm -hmm. Jim and Melvin, which yes. by the way, in the credits, it's Malvin. And I thought it was Melvin. I've, I, I don't know Melvin if I've ever too. seen. Yeah. I, but in the credits, they, they have it listed as Malvin, which is mm -hmm. awesome. Oh, that's a great name and I want to use it. But um, did you recognize his voice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, from Greece. Uh, the... Yeah, Eddie Deason. Yeah, uh, he was I... uh, Eugene, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I recognized him. It it took me an IMDb, but I was like, I know you. Why do I know you? Mm -hmm. It was definitely like, okay, I got to research that. I, I know you're, but the <laughs> other guy, I was also like, why do I know your face? And mm -hmm. he is Mr. Tipton and my cousin Vinny, yeah. which I've seen a lot of. He's the uh, one of the eyewitnesses uh, that made grits. <laughs> yes. And he's 
he's right up there with sort of Alan Blumenfeld and John Spencer and like these character mm -hmm. actors that would just pop up and stuff sure. all the time. You would just see them everywhere. That was Maury Chaikin. Um, mm -hmm. Eddie Deason, by the way, is also the voice of Mandark on uh, Dexter's Laboratory. Yeah, Dexter's, I saw like, that. And I was like, stuff. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I also didn't realize that Matthew Broderick was the voice of Adult Simba in The Lion King. Oh yeah, yep. I, I well, don't know because... why I never realized it was all about Jonathan Taylor Thomas. I didn't, you know, I right. didn't realize Which... he made Adult Simba. <laughs> And if you think about it with the, you were in the demographic, you were in the age group that that would have been all you cared about at that point. Yes. Jonathan mm -hmm. Like you don't care. Yep. You don't care about Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller's no. too old. Yeah. It's all JTT <laughs> all the time. Um, the only other uh, name, like Ali Sheedy um, was amazing as always. She was great. Oh, this she was, was like adorable. Her. She looked really pretty. Both of them are, uh, her and Broderick were about 21 when they made this. So they're playing mm -hmm. 17, uh, but they were a couple years older than that, but they look young. You know, they have a mm -hmm. youthful look. Like Matthew Broderick looks, has always looked pretty young. He's just got that kind of face. Mm -hmm. And Ali Sheedy definitely throughout the, I mean, she was in Breakfast Club, what, two years later? I think it was 85. Yeah. And she was still playing high school student. So, you know, that happens. Um, they fit the parts. It definitely wasn't. You definitely weren't looking at going. Yeah, you're. You're so much older. I didn't realize they were 21 until I looked at the trivia. So yeah, it didn't. They weren't stand out. Yeah, they weren't the obvious. You know, 28 year old right. playing a high school student. <laughs> they weren't. It wasn't like Matthew Lillard in Scream, where he's 27 or 28 and he's playing an 18 year old. Um, but. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of those. The The only other one I wanted to mention um, outside of them was uh, there's supposedly an uncredited William H. Macy as a NORAD officer. Uh, I didn't see him, but given mm -hmm. when this came out and how young he would have been during it, it's quite possible. I just just glossed over it. Oh, but I, I know. I, I went like, I mean, I sat for it an hour like going through like skimming like <laughs> searching that room pausing it like i couldn't find him to save my life i don't know where he is yeah i mean he's probably if he's in it at all he's just in the background somewhere he's an extra extra officer mm -hmm. um, oh the guy who played um paul richter is mr bundles yeah. and annie that's where that's i know right. him from yes um Irving Metz yeah Metz, Metz yes him. I liked him I kind of I wanted more of that character in the movie I did too there was something <laughs> there was just something great like the scene where he comes running in yelling that it's just a simulation after the first little uh little yeah. thing I love that because I'm just like mm -hmm. that poor guy is just sprinting through there and then the general's like don't run in here somebody will get hurt <laughs> yeah <laughs> just the most ridiculous thing um oh there was one other one uh it was um one of the uh oh jason bernard was the he was um one of the norad officers he's the one that has the exchange with the guy where he says i hope you like vodka yes yes i love that scene i was like i'm glad they have a sense of humor <laughs> yeah um but jason bernard i see him and i always remember him as the judge in liar liar Oh, okay. I didn't put that Which together. Was, 
it was his last role. Um, he, he died. He actually passed away before the movie came out. Liar, liar. Yeah. But uh, he's just got like a look about it. And I think it's because I watched Liar, Liar a lot. Mm. I really enjoyed that movie. So it's like he's just stuck in there. So it's another one of those faces. You see him and you're just like, hey, I know that guy. Um, but it was, a, it was a fun, like a really cool cast. Even the, um, you know, the dad and the mom, like the dad is just, I think, and I could be wrong on this, but my guess is that the um, the, the one dad character in Stranger Things was based off of this dad. Because okay. he's got that same look. Um, not Mike. Is it Mike? Yeah, Mike's dad. Um, because he's got that same look. He's got the dark hair, the glasses. He's got a pipe. And he's always just kind of like blissfully unaware of anything going on. He doesn't I really know what's that. happening. So I bet you there was a lot of inspiration from Mr. Lightman in this, um, which was great. <laughs> I liked it too when the... Ali Sheedy and him were like, oh, 41's really old. <laughs> yes. Yes. That like, that I'm felt 42. It's not old. <laughs> but what I loved about it was that felt authentic it because did, yeah. 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds would totally say that. 100 percent Yeah. They felt no. they I could tell too, they had chemistry. They felt comfortable together. And I kind of felt like they um they had maybe be friends before like like yeah they were traversing that teenage awkward from like maybe mm -hmm. friends into romantic friends you know but yeah. she knew the dog she was calling him baby so like it seemed like they all knew each other kind of beforehand <laughs> it was a yeah i'm like i think the way i read it was they knew each other they went to school together, but the first time she goes to his house is when she drives him, when she gives him a ride home on her. Oh, mobile, okay. Which, but they which seem totally to be comfortable though. Mobile. Like, cause he's like, Oh, just get on, get a ride, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They definitely got a, got a long well. Um, mm -hmm. and you're right. I, I think they were, you know, friends, but maybe just not like super close, close friends. Maybe. But now he's like, he's got an opportunity to, impress her a little bit with his computer and his ability to change their grades. Mm -hmm. So he does that. I like that. that uh, was I love that. That was, um, let's see. Uh, Oh, <laughs> I had this moment watching it where when he walks out of the seven 11, which, uh, apparently is still an operating seven 11 in California. Oh, um, wow. But he was walking out of there with the big gulp and he's drinking it. And I'm like, mm -hmm something just feels off about this. And then I realized it's because he has no ice in the cup. He has no lid and he has no straw. He just, he just poured it into a big cup and is carrying it drinking. And I'm like, I've never ever done that. I have never had like a fountain drink from a convenience store without a lid and a straw. And so it just looked so strange to me. Um, and, and yet, you know, that's obviously not the weirdest thing in that scene. Cause that's when he gets grabbed by the FBI in a, windowless black right. van and then driven off three states away which is just like yeah well i love that where that like happened. he's like i made a note like yeah everything will be fine sure we're just not gonna talk about and she wants to tell the like school gossip yes <laughs> like, oh, gonna my. Tell so? like he's like no <laughs> 
he's he's legitimately concerned and she's like this is the coolest thing ever can i tell my friend no no right. you cannot please don't um that that yeah, was cute I, loved... I did like that that's how we found out really what was going on was the the news mm -hmm. you know what i mean like that, oh yeah that scene was kind of, that was kind of neat like oh that's how he puts two and two together of i wasn't playing a game <laughs> because it's way I, too type of yeah, game i thought of <laughs> yeah way too much of a coincidence to have that all happen right after he's playing that what he thinks is just a game and it is to the to mm -hmm. the whopper but it's not at the same time um so yeah that was mm -hmm. that was a pretty good one uh so i also love when um Dabney Coleman is getting ready to head into the meeting about like what's gone on. And there's the, the um, they've got David, they've got him in the infirmary. Right. And there's the tour group going through NORAD that day, which mm -hmm. that idea is crazy to me. Um, but sure, whatever. <laughs> uh, but then he's walking along with his assistant who, by the way, his assistant in this, um, uh, Pat Healy is the character's name. Mm -hmm. Her hair kept changing, right? I'm not crazy. I was wondering. I didn't. Something was off with her, but I couldn't figure out what it was. So, yeah, I think so. Because I kept looking like her at hair her was. Like... Yeah, like her hair was long, but then it was shorter and then it was longer again. I'm, I think I'm so. Almost positive of that. Um <laughs> But the moment where he's getting ready to go into that meeting and she's like helping straighten his tie. And then he just takes his gum and hands it to her. Mm -hmm. And she puts and she it, in her mouth. it in her mouth and starts chewing it. I was like, oh, okay. I did the same thing. What's got, what the, curse got out the most? There you go. Yeah, exactly. That was the exact note I wrote, actually. Because um, <laughs> it was like, what the hell? And then, but then I got distracted because as soon as that happened, he goes into the meeting and who's in there? But principal skinner or uh yes. strickland rather mm -hmm. james tolcan who you know if uh if you're if you're casting a cop or an fbi agent in the 1980s you cast james tolcan yep i don't know of another person as physically intimidating as that man to be five foot five yeah because he is a tiny little dude but you are always he's got the voice and you're just always intimidated by him whether he's because he was intimidating in top gun he's intimidating at strickland yeah. he's intimidating in this um he was in um uh masters of the universe the he-man movie as Ooh. a cop okay mm -hmm. i just saw him recently i've been re-watching episodes of the pretender uh as i'm on my treadmill okay. every day and he showed up in an episode of that as an fbi agent like he just Sometimes you get typecast and he's made a career off of being a cop or an authority figure of some kind. <laughs> it's pretty great. Right. Um, yeah. So he has an was... attitude. Like he, he stands tall, even though he's only five, five, you know, he's got the mm -hmm. attitude to back up his stature. <laughs> yes. Yes, he does. Um, so yeah, they, they take him across state lines and he, and this was another thing. So it, it's such a good time capsule, right, of the 80s because you've got mm -hmm. little things like, uh, you know, him uh, calling Ali Sheedy from from a payphone 
Number one, pay phones, kids. Those were a thing. It was a booth. You had to actually put money in to make a phone call, which. And like it had a phone book. Yes. It had um, a phone book with it. <laughs> so, so he calls her long distance and gets her to pay for a plane ticket in his name that, in a different state. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's kind of where my brain broke. Cause I'm like, okay. It's not like you have, she doesn't have a computer. Does she have a credit card? How did she pay for that? I mean, like, that's a good question, right? Obviously she's got some pretty rich it, parents too. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm from the eighties. I'm not calling my best friend and saying, Hey, can you pay for a plane ticket without her having to go to her parent and be like, "Whoa, what's going on? I'm not just dropping an expensive amount of money for a plane ticket out of nowhere. Well, and then on top of that, she bought one for herself because she shows up because that's in right? Oregon is where he was going. So she uh -huh. ends up arriving in Oregon miraculously at the same time he did, even though she's coming from Seattle, but whatever. At this point, she drove. Like, she said it was a three hour drive. Oh, she drove. Okay. All right. That makes more sense. Mm -hmm. I think I missed that somehow, but still like, because you could, you could absolutely do that back then. You could just call the airline and be like, hey, I'm going to book a ticket it's for this person from this airport and they would just do it there wasn't See, nearly I, fly, the... at that, I wasn't sure how that worked that's why my brain broke like how would that work it's not like i can just go online and make a reservation anymore you know what i mean like no you would you would call them up you would call uh, the reservation desk and reserve it and say all right we're gonna pay for it and, and all that you could totally do that oh um, okay but that was like it's it's that time capsule of the early 80s where like security wise like not even the logistics of just doing an online reservation or anything like that but the security like nowadays mm -hmm. if i called if i called an airline and said hey i want to book a, a flight for kit london she's going to fly from new york to atlanta mm -hmm. and i'm in michigan like they're just going to laugh at me and be like no you can't do that like Right. <laughs> they we we need we need identifying information about this person. It's like right. some random dude's just going to show up at the airport and take this ticket and fly somewhere. Sure. I, why not? I did oh, think and that he's a like, minor by the way. Good thing. Yeah, good thing he didn't need his driver's license or whatever. Yes. You know what I mean? Like They're just like, going to take oh, him at his word. ID. Yeah. Um, but I mean there's I, there's other things like that like when they run onto the ferry to go to the island. And they just yep. sprint onto the literal ferry leaving the dock. Um, I love that. They looked like it was like, normal. They were like, oh, hold the door. Yeah, these kids can jump on here. It's fine. Don't slow the yeah. boat down or nothing. It's fine. Which, you know, I can somewhat see, but also like that's the type of thing that I'm pretty sure only existed in the movies yeah. is like that. Um, but we think about it now and it's like, no, that makes sense. But probably didn't. However, it's a fun scene. Um, I, I was surprised the FBI didn't know where he was going because of that. That's what I was also worried about. It was like, he's going to put a ticket in his name. They already know he reserved a flight just messing around. Now yeah. he's really on a flight. How did they not track him there? Yeah. Yeah. The FBI wasn't particularly good at their job. No. Um, the military seemed to be passably okay but the the fbi were just kind of like what's going on um which is fine 
uh, without that, we don't have a movie, right? He's got to get there. He's got to right. get out to see oh, Falcon. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's fine. Uh, but I love that then like he gets out and he meets, um, Dr. Falcon and, uh, mm -hmm. who's flying a pterodactyl around his Island. I love yeah, that. That was my note. I was like, is that a pterodactyl? Like what's going on? <laughs> um, so this is where I almost want a different movie because his character, Falcon's character is really interesting fascinating mm -hmm. because of like his whole story we only get parts of but the fact that he was a part of creating this whole system mm -hmm. and then losing his wife and child in a car accident and he basically went totally nihilistic he's completely mm -hmm. like he, he just gave up on everything it's it's fascinating and it's kind of would have made for a really interesting story um yeah. He also seemed at, at odds with um, the uh, McKintrick. Um, because a little McKintrick, bit, yeah. when David first meets him, he goes, oh, yeah, I know you. You guys wrote an article about poker and, thermal, you know, he said, yeah, he's yeah. a center guy, but he didn't see the potential of his work. So I can also see them fighting because he didn't want to. Uh, joshua to be in a war room like yeah or used how mckendrick's using it like he didn't want that so i think i thought that was kind of part of the reason why he wanted out too mm -hmm. maybe oh for sure yeah because i mean he basically lost his drive and his sort of will when his family was gone and that mm -hmm. made him very nihilistic and then on top of that you know, they're, they're dealing with global thermonuclear war mm -hmm. and he's got this, this nihilistic look of like, well, but no one wins. And McKintrick, McKittrick, who's his assistant is like, mm -hmm. it's very ambitious. And it's just, you know, Falcon lost that ambition. Right. Um, it's, it would made it would have made for a really interesting story to tell kind of learning, learning that whole thing and how that happened. Um, could have made for a fun either sequel or prequel to this movie or something else set, you know, in that world or even a novelization, like a novel, a book about those characters. By the way, before I forget, there is a sequel to this movie. Is there? Yes. It's called War Games, The Dead Code. Okay. It came out in 2008, I believe. Um, mm. I watched the trailer for it and it looks awful. It looks absolutely <laughs> terrible. Like, it why looks we like, it. yeah, it looks like every direct-to-video cheap action thriller that you could think of. And okay. one of the things that made this movie work is that it isn't that. It's not a standard action thriller. It's got moments of levity in it, but it's also like there's a, mm -hmm. there's a heart to it. This felt like a cheap cash-in and they just wanted to use the name. Because um, ah. it has no characters involved, um, the the computer in it is liter is is actually uh, at least by by the way the trailer made it seem the um, actually the antagonist and like a, a real you know trying to start a war. Oh, okay. Versus because that's the thing with this one was the Whopper Joshua 
Um, and I like them giving it a name too. I mm-hmm. like it being named after his son. And like, that's the way that, that Falcon and that David um, think of it is as mm-hmm. Joshua and everyone else looks at it as the Whopper, which the Whopper is a fun joke, kind of an in joke because um, NORAD had a computer called the BRGR or the burger. Okay. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> I was thinking of a Whopper candy. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but I like kind of giving it that name. And then the fact that the computer isn't necessarily evil. It's not like it's trying to start the war. It just has the game. It's playing the game. And well, I liked it when David asked him, is this just a game or real? And Joshua comes back and says, what's the difference? Right. Because he, how would he know? He wouldn't really, he couldn't make that distinction because it's not a human. It doesn't have right. the emotions of a human. Exactly. And that was kind of the, like you mentioned earlier, that was a, a big point in the beginning of the movie. And it's, mm-hmm. it's what makes me like the character of McKittrick because McKittrick isn't just like, mm-hmm. we're going to do this because it's the right way to do it. And it's the best way to do it because it is. He's like, no, look, there's no, like the, the guys in the tower with the keys are the 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 break point of the chain because they're human and because they're going to have human responses and he's like we can we can take that response out of the equation by employing the computer so logis- like, like logically what he's doing makes sense but mm-hmm. it's not the system isn't ready for that yet no uh, as they learn and but his um, assistant backs him up too she says yeah that six minutes if it comes from a sub and they're like the president can't give orders in six minutes <laughs> yeah yeah you like know? they're they're trying to you know they're they want to have they're coming at it from the right angle they're just misguided but mm-hmm. they, their their intentions are good which is just to have the best and quickest response to what could possibly be happening because that is a thing that we can tend to forget because the cold war is over, but it was this idea that like at any moment things could completely change and mm-hmm. somebody could fire their missiles and it would be, how are we going to react? So I thought that was kind of a neat backing for this story. And then on mm-hmm. top of that, you get Falcon who's like, yeah, but what's it matter? Like whoever start, if we start the war or if we re- retaliate, it doesn't matter because we're not going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and his whole thing of like, I've set us up, whatever, three miles from a, um, Priority, uh, a primary target would drop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it would just, he, it would be over with. And, and the people that would suffer are the ones that survive. And mm-hmm. it's just like, woof, wow, I got heavy. Like the movie gets heavy there for a bit. Um, and if you're not prepared for that, you, you're just, it kind of blindsides you just a little bit of like, woof. I, I do like Matthew Broderick get David gets in his face where he's like, okay, BS I'm done with the sob story. Like, <laughs> no. Yeah. This and, isn't going down that, like this. Yeah. And that makes sense. Right. Uh, Falcon mm-hmm. is, he's lost his family. He's middle-aged and he's seen, and he's, he's thought about this stuff for so long. And then you've got Broderick and uh, Sheedy who are, you know, they're 17. They have their whole lives ahead of them. They don't want it to just end. Whereas Dr. Falcon is like uh, embracing the end. Basically. He's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it myself, but I'm not going to stop it from happening. Yeah. And David tells him the truth, which I love the line. He goes, you're dead already. 
that's why you don't care yeah. you die you're you're already dead i was like yeah and also, that's the nudge he needed yep and also falcon hello lady hawk <laughs> yeah yep <laughs> they will be together again in two years um he's in jumping jack flash and he um but i really know him from sabrina he plays her dad in the remake um with oh Harrison Ford. that's right that's right that's where i and know him john from. and john wood has an amazing voice i mean he's he just does. he just sounds awesome um so yeah i really really love that uh but yeah it was just that was a great scene i almost wish we had mm -hmm. been able to spend more time with his character and uh, kind of mm -hmm. hit that story and make that a little because it would have given more more emotion to the movie but at the same time it changes the movie and it changes kind of what they were going for with this which is a little bit it is a thriller in the sense that like war could happen at any point but it's uh it's more lighthearted than that right so you know the movie gets heavy but it doesn't go so heavy that you're like you can't you can't rewatch like this is very rewatchable as a movie um, oh yeah it, it's definitely it, going in my comfort food movies i love it but you needed falc david needed falcon though to lend credibility to himself because no one was oh, absolutely to him the only why, right. reason why the general listens and doesn't do you know shoot the you know launch the missiles is because of steven and he's yeah. respected and oh if he says this is a farce then i'm going to listen yep and and falcon needed david to mm -hmm. kick him and get him to realize that no i can stop this and also it's worth doing it's worth right. stopping what's going on here because it's not so much that he's doing it for himself at that point dr falcon is doing this for david and jennifer mm -hmm. they're they're giving him back a little bit of that hope and taking you know helping him to step back from the ledge uh in a right. way so i liked that um let's see um oh i also loved when they're so they they take the helicopter from the island to um so from oregon to colorado and then mm -hmm. they're driving up the mountain in a jeep and that jeep blows through the gate and then topples over because it gets caught on the gate mm -hmm. that wasn't planned oh that was a like apparently that was a legit uh like accident mistake in the, oh, wow. in the stunt and the director liked it so he kept it in and then shot um added in the shots of like them getting out of the jeep as it's toppled over mm -hmm. and i thought that was really cool i thought that because that that added to the like it added to the severity of the time crunch and sort of what was like they couldn't they couldn't even stop to like worry about the fact that the jeep got knocked over they're just like blowing through the gate and then sprinting well, for that door they're they're asking each other if you're okay as they're running <laughs> yeah they do yes. say are you okay okay they don't stop but here's my question why couldn't you have flown the helicopter into there uh probably didn't have um <laughs> a well they probably didn't have the helicopter for long enough on the film set <laughs> but also because i don't know if there was a helipad they, or they oh no we saw the them fly a helicopter yeah in. they flew the helicopter yeah. in the beginning so i'm like why didn't you just flow the helicopter into there and 
I know it would have been as dramatic had... with the Jeep, but <laughs> if you need to get somewhere... I'm going to go with they had helicopter budget for two days and they used okay. their two days of budget. <laughs> and they had, they had no more, well, we can't afford the helicopter anymore. All right, have them drive up in a Jeep. Right. Um, but, but that was my, like, why wouldn't you just fly the helicopter yeah. in there? <laughs> They'd have gotten there quicker. Exactly. Um, and then they have to sprint through that tunnel, which that tunnel is a famous one. It's a, it's a tunnel in California, but, um, that tunnel set right. that they used in this was in who framed Roger rabbit. I was just going to say, I, I'm like, I've seen as, this tunnel before. Yes. Yeah. It was the tunnel to Toontown, And it was also at the end of back to the future too. Um, okay. they used that same tunnel and I'm sure it's been in a bunch of other movies, but those were the two that were listed. And I definitely, when I was watching it, I'm like, yeah, I've seen, I've seen this tunnel before. Yeah, I felt the same way, but I didn't know why. I'm like, this feels familiar. But that was also <laughs> the slowest closing door ever. It really was. <laughs> it really, really was. And you've got the you've got, you know, the character of Pat Healy standing outside, like telling him not to close the door. Mm-hmm. And the door's just slowly closing anyway. Yeah. Um the beginning yeah, of the movie when they had that. It. Yeah. The beginning of the movie when they were doing that, I all I could think of was there's a guy that walks out the door right before it closes. And I'm like, I see that in movies all the time. I don't know that I would be able to do that. I would just get caught and like stuck inside. Like, well, I guess I'm not leaving today. Yeah. I'm inside the door. And it was like, I didn't have enough time to get out. And, and he wasn't even paying attention be... either. I thought the same thing. Like he just must yeah. be comfortable with it. Cause he's just reading his report and kept walking like, Oh, okay. <laughs> yep. Didn't even notice. No, never even looked up or broke stride. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. That that really did crack me up. Um. What was the other one? Uh, oh, and I I also kind of like how um you mentioned the line earlier where McKittrick says that uh, about Falcon. Well, he's a, he's a brilliant guy, but he's a little flaky. He didn't mm-hmm. um, he didn't understand the potential of his work or whatever. Yeah. It's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a, like, oh, he's not actually dead because he says he's a brilliant man, but a little flaky instead of he was. Oh, I didn't think about that. Because obviously McKittrick knows that he's still alive. But to oh the, yeah. To Nobody public, was surprised to see him at yeah. all. <laughs> the like, general's oh, like, you're alive? a hell of a day to visit. Yeah. So they obviously knew cause it was classified, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. Like, I don't think, I don't know which, what you think you're going to do. <laughs> right. Which again, you know, could have been a, a bigger plot point, but it changes the movie. And really we want to focus on like David being the one to stop things, figuring mm-hmm. out that if we can get the computer to play tic-tac-toe and learn that there are unwinnable situations. So the, the only move is to not play. Um, you know, that's the, sort of the message they were trying to drive home um and it worked it worked i did, um, notice I did. in the oh, go ahead. in my rewatch that the video they're watching with falcon like back in the day with joshua joshua is playing mm-hmm. tic-tac-toe on a big yeah. machine i was mm-hmm. like oh okay little nuggets and we didn't know were coming <laughs> yeah I also love the look of the NORAD command center. 
It's such a yes. cool. It gave me very um like I love the movie Doctor Strangelove. And it felt like that war room, but just turned up to 11, like just bigger and more elaborate. Mm -hmm. um, and I right. love that whole thing. Um, and apparently that was like a million dollar set to build. It was this huge set. I can't believe it. And they, uh, um, the screens, the big monitors weren't monitors. They were like rear projection. Um, so they had projectors okay. built behind them to shoot that stuff up on the wall because there weren't monitors that size they didn't have displays like that at mm. that time uh so they had right. to kind of create where that. to us it feels natural like yeah they'd have those screens it reminded yeah. me of like going into um uh one of my comfort movies is the martian like when mm -hmm. they find out he's alive she's in the houston command center or watching apollo 13 like yep. it gave me those kind of vibes even um in space balls <laughs> that room yeah. with like you know the with main the control center and stuff, and stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah so absolutely it felt very cozy like you know like oh i've seen this before this is cool cool mm -hmm. room and i guess they for some of the imagery they had to um to render it to then project it uh they used mm -hmm. computers to render things but they had to render everything one color at a time and then composite that all together onto the film frames wow. and then use that to rear to do rear projection onto those screens. Oh, neat. So, you know, stuff that would be done in like no time now. Right. That was what they that's You know, you have to work with the technology you've got and the right. technology they had was that back then. I mean, they had workstations like that, that were computers that they're very limited in what they're capable of. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I thought that was cool. And I liked that the movie got, um, a couple of Academy Award nominations for the script and for the cinematography because I think it looks really good. Oh, should have, yeah, it does. Um, like everything felt no, kind did... of practical too. I, that's what I yeah. liked. I, I, I like mm -hmm. everything. Like you said, maybe not projecting, but it felt real. Like they really built those sets. So when you said, "Yeah, it's a million dollars," I was like, "Yeah, that I can feel it because." You know, it's one thing uh, really Scott says, you know, everything might not work, but they're sitting there. They're looking at these yeah. things and buttons and all that. So that's what I liked uh, a lot. What? The one thing about the Whopper, I, I, like, you know how like it lights up all the way around, right? It's got the red yeah. and yellow lights. So the one lady's around doing her little checks. I'm like, what are you checking for to make sure the lights are flashing? <laughs> like, you have no sure. idea. <laughs> I just want to know what's on like that's like, yeah. yes there's five uh, like, red dots like you don't really know what you're looking for <laughs> no but that the whopper is is one of those great things where it's definitely a function or a form over function thing it's built mm -hmm. to look cool yeah um, oh, it's it not did. really there's no function to it but they're like yeah let's make something because it was all made out of wood it wasn't metal oh wow they just painted it to look metal mm -hmm. um but just put a bunch of lights on it and have the lights flash and do stuff just because it looks interesting. And it, mm -hmm. instead of it just being a, you know, a, a box with like a small display, right. adding that adds just so much dimensionality to it. And I, and I like that. But it's not like um, a switch though, where you can see like, yes, this switch is on, mm -hmm. like it's supposed to be, you know, is, is this light out that's not supposed right. to be 
you know what I mean? That's what I mean. Like there was no identifying things that you'd be checking off a list besides that it's blinking red and yellow. <laughs> right. Are the lights blinking? Oh, look at that. They still are. Yeah. Yeah. That's what does that mean? I don't know that they're blinking. Exactly. She has no clue. <laughs> but see that like what I like about this era of film and in through the like through the eighties into the early nineties was everything for the most part had to be done practically. Yes. And if it wasn't practical, you had uh, optical effects, things like the way Tron worked, which was, mm -hmm. I think the year before this, where they shot everything in black and white and then added color to that. And the way they would do stuff with um, the, or even some of the early CG stuff that they would do uh, like um, the stained glass guy in uh, young Sherlock Holmes which is, I think, the first fully oh, rendered wow. CG thing. You know, mm -hmm. But like a lot of that stuff, because so much had to be done practically, it does, it has this tactile nature to it. And what happened was, I think, as computers became more ubiquitous and we could do more computer-generated images, we, we swung too far in that direction. Because what I'm seeing these days is a lot of times it's a lot of practical stuff that is then enhanced and extended with computers. And that's where it can be really powerful because you can, mm -hmm. you have that, that tactile nature of the, what Ridley Scott says with the like, yeah, it might not work, but it's sitting there. They're sitting in front of it. They're in that chair. They can mm -hmm. see it. Yes. And then you augment that and you add to it and you give it more. Um, cause when I talked about Prometheus a few weeks ago, that was one of the things was he built, they, he had them build a bunch of those sets mm -hmm. and then just add stuff to the, to it or add a right. background, but it's still a big old set. They're wandering around in a hangar. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, so if you can't build everything, build as much as you can and right. then add to it, um, which can be more cost effective, can take less time. And you can get something that looks a little bit better. But then when you go back and you look at some of these older movies where they had to build everything and have it on the set. And if they couldn't do that, it was like a matte painting, which you could tell was a matte mm -hmm. painting. So, yeah, I love that. I love the tactile nature of all that stuff. This had a real feel to it. Like, I never questioned anything. Like, you were talking about, like, they did CGI in the screens. I thought it was really mm -hmm. there. I didn't yeah. know. You know, like it, it feels grounded for some reason. I don't know. And and I think a lot it. of that is because the, the technology is such that it's so low res, you almost have to have it be practical mm -hmm. because it's not, it's not this high fidelity thing. Like the, the computers were these big boxes, these big beige boxes with huge clacky computer, you know, um, mm -hmm. clacky keyboards and big floppy drives and the screens were, you know, 14 inches and they only made the color green. And so right. you, you can only work with like that. So the limitations of that, I think, help to make it feel more real because you pretty much have to have that sitting in front of you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. It, it um, also, um, another reason why I really liked the movie was it reminds me of the Columbo episode, Mind Over Mayhem where he's in mm. the think tank um oh, they wow. have a war room and they have an ai robot that's up there typing 
to do these different scenarios that's what they're also that's what the think tank was doing was basically playing out world war three it was basically that kind of same same story that same idea is that they're trying to figure out oh if this happens here's our and this is our response how does it play out um Mm -hmm. so i i kind of already liked that idea i mean he uses the ai to um uh so he can as his alibi he's running the war room yeah that's right and he's off killing he's off killing the the professor the one guy to save his son but it was that same idea Mm -hmm. that they were they were trying out world war three they were playing it out in a war room so it reminded me of that and i like that a lot Mm -hmm. and that was a big big thing in the 70s and 80s was you know the the worry of world war three and the cold war Mm -hmm. um so yeah uh, I did capture some audio. Yeah, so there was a few things to to listen to in this, and I could not help myself on some of them. Um, this first one I loved. This is uh, Matthew Broderick in school with his teacher. Because I mean, come on, like the teacher number one set this up way too easily. Number two, this is David going for the low hanging fruit of the joke, but still pretty good. Here's that. Yeah. Maybe you could tell us who first suggested the idea of reproduction without sex. Um, your wife? Yeah. I mean, that's where the headcanon of like, no, he gets himself sent to the principal's office on purpose makes much more sense. Because Mm -hmm. I don't care what kind of attitude problem you had. You're not saying that to your teacher. Unless you're, unless it's on purpose. So. I thought he deserved it because I I mean, the. The teacher back in the, oh yeah, the public humiliation, you know, here you got an F. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh yeah. It went both ways. I mean, it was the 80s. I always hated that. Um, okay. Here's Eddie Deezer. Um, and I just, I needed this for my uh, <laughs> soundboard. So I'm, I have this now, which is. Where are you guys dumb? You guys are so dumb. <laughs> I figured this yeah. out all by myself. <laughs> Yes, great. And I, I love the line um, right before that where the guy's like, uh, where Jim tells him, you know how I'm supposed to tell you yep. when you're being rude? This <laughs> is one of those times. Yep. <laughs> um, okay, here's Ali Sheedy in school, uh, which, again, <laughs> such a silly answer to this question, but the teacher set him up, himself up for this kind of stuff. Why do nitrogen nodules cling to the roots of plants? Um love <laughs> yes love that's what it is that's what it is jennifer it's love yep uh, i'm thinking he's not a very effective teacher because i don't think no, those other students like knew what was going on either <laughs> no no by the way the uh the your wife punchline according to the director half the crew didn't know that was coming so the laughter <laughs> in that scene is the crew <laughs> laughing and he oh, just kept okay. it in that's awesome. Uh, here's one. You mentioned this earlier. Better than but, a laugh uh, track. <laughs> oh, 100%. Um, you mentioned this line earlier. We talked about it a little bit, but this is this is definitely two teenagers talking. He wasn't very old. Well, he was pretty old. He was 41. Oh, yeah? Oh, that's old. That's old. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that's old. <laughs> <sighs> I just turned 42. 
Pretty yep. damn ancient. Yes. <laughs> um, and then this one cracked me up uh, more than I think it probably should have. When when she meets up with him in Oregon and he's talking about how much trouble he's in, he's like, you shouldn't have come here. I'm in trouble. And then she responds with, David, is this because of what you did with my grade? Yes. Yes, Jennifer. <laughs> it's because he changed your grade. Yeah. The FBI has taken him states away. Right, Not like his grade, she, your grade. She, You can see where her priorities are because she completely forgot about the whole nuclear, like, NORAD thing <laughs> on the news, right? right. No, this is about yeah. grade changing because those are the serious stakes. <laughs> uh, gotta love that. Yeah. Um, also, and look, I'm going to give a pass to this because if you've only ever seen a word written out, you're not going to know how to pronounce it. But I got this because it was too much, too funny. When they're playing the game, and she asks him, What's a trajectory heading? Oh, yeah. A trajectory heading. He's like, all right, all right. It's fair. You've probably never seen that word written out. So, you know, that, there's that. Uh, this is the vodka one. That, I just love this exchange because. Oh, it was great. At, at that point, I mean, you just kind of resigned to your fate, right? Mm -hmm. Sergeant, I hope you like vodka. Yes, sir. I just hope they don't make me eat none of them damn fish eggs. None of them damn fish eggs. That guy's in a bunch of movies, too. The guy I was talking. Uh, Yeah, he is. I can't think he's of character. anything, but he's he's definitely... I've seen him before. Mm -hmm. Um. Oh, so, again grain of salt on this because it was from the trivia, but I did capture this because it was interesting to me. According to what I read, this is the first time in a movie that this was mentioned. You keep hitting a damn firewall. A firewall mm. as a, as a computer thing, which I can, I can see it if it is the first time that that was mentioned in a movie. Um, but I just like that because again, using some terminology that's true, that's real. Which is one of the things that, um, and I, I say this all the time, but it was one of the things that hackers did well, is there's a lot of times in that where they're using terms properly. Right. I was just going to say, and they used it properly. It wasn't just, oh, this is a new term. We got to throw it in there. They actually used it appropriately mm -hmm. <laughs> and not just insert as well, it in As well as somewhere. they could. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. All right. The dad. First of all, one of my notes was that dude was putting a lot of butter on that bread because yep. he sat there for <laughs> minutes buttering that bread with just like 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 a quarter of an inch of butter on that thing. I'm like, and it I was all. With... I did. I've done that. You butter a piece of bread to butter the corn, mm -hmm. but yeah. yeah, that was a way too much butter. But then I love because he's so excited. He gets the butter all over the corn. And he's ready, and, he, and his wife sits down. And he goes to take a bite, and it's just this corn is raw. Yep, I know. Isn't it wonderful? It's so crisp. Of course, it's crisp. It's raw. <laughs> he was so disappointed. So disappointed. I would have been too. I was like, wow. Like he worked for that. Make it perfectly buttery. It looked so good, and yeah. That feels like uh, 
I mean, you would see something like that today where like an influencer would tell you, would tell somebody, oh, you should be eating your corn raw. You mm-hmm. don't want to cook the nutrients out of it. Yep. And it just, it just shows you that that kind of stuff is because, you know, she like, she read that in a magazine somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Not to, not to cook that, to, to keep all the nutrients in there. That's what's been going on line. for. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, and then she tells him, you know, you can taste the vitamin A and, and vitamin D or whatever. And I just love his response to it, which is. Could, could we have pills and cook the corn? Please. <laughs> that poor justice for his corn. Yes. Because my goodness, that there are a few things I think more disappointing than an ear of sweet corn and you bite into it and it's still raw. Yeah. That would, that would definitely be a bummer for me. Um, okay. So, uh, the two, the two techs or the two launch control guys, at the beginning of it, John Spencer and Michael Madsen. I got a couple of theirs just because, um, number one was, uh, I, I played it for you before we started recording, but it's John Spencer is having the human response of like, this can't be real. We're actually going to launch nukes. And I just liked this exchange. Mm-hmm. Screw the procedure. I want somebody on the goddamn phone before I kill 20 million people. I That's was with very him. reasonable. Yes. Yeah. I agree with you, sir. I yep, agree with I you wholeheartedly. Like, um, I'm going to do my job, but I still would like some confirmation like in someone on the phone. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, but the funny thing is like 30 seconds earlier, he says, you scratch me, tie stick tastes like oregano, lay you out flat, man. Yep. Like 30 seconds earlier, he's just talking about weed. And now all of a sudden it's, oh, we're about to kill 20 million people. Great. Nothing to worry about there. Mm-mm. Um, so Dr. Falcon had a couple of quick lines that I loved. And again, um, was it John Wood? John Wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Amazing voice. Um, and there was, there's three I have of him. Uh, first one is this. But back at the war room, they believe you can win a nuclear war. But there can be acceptable losses. Which, yeah, I know there's a lot of people that will do, you know, the, the good of the many versus the good of the one and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And he just was like, I can't do that. And it was the way he says that, the way that line is delivered of there can be acceptable losses. And he's like, he just, he can't get behind that at all. Mm-mm. Um, But I also liked this. I loved it when you knew Las Vegas. Suitably biblical ending to the place, don't you think? <laughs> this is great. Because uh, there's that nihilism again. Like you see mm-hmm. kind of both sides of it. Um, in there, uh, which was, which was fun. And then this was one, and this is apparently the greeting from like, a, a, a British television show for kids. Uh, so, but I loved it when he's, when he tells the kids, okay, now kids, I have a movie to show you. Um, yeah. I was hoping you got that. I was like, I'm going to tell you a bedtime story. <laughs> yeah. But it, but it was this part of it that I got. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. But it was very good. He, it's said with like he, uh, it. If you didn't know better, it sounds upbeat, but it definitely has some sarcasm. Sarcasm all over that, like. Oh sure. 
he's not about to really to tell him a happy tale. No, you know what I mean? No, not at all. It's not. <laughs> he's trying to sound happy, but it's not. I don't know. No. Um, and then finally, I did get uh, two more sounds. First one is the whopper at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's a little echo in this because it's inside the war room. But uh, mm-hmm. still, it's a good line. Strange game. The only winning move is not to play. Which, you know, it's the message to take from it. War, nuclear war especially. The only winning move is to not do it. Um, by the way, that was supposedly John Wood, uh, his voice. And then they just synthesized and did some stuff with it. Oh, neat. Um, which I thought was kind of cool. And finally, the most famous clip of audio from this movie is probably this. Shall we play a game? Because even if you hadn't seen this movie, you know that. Yes, I did. Uh, yeah. You know, and you know it's associated with war games. And it was great. I loved I loved that. So now I have that on my uh my soundboard forever. Yay! <laughs> it's fabulous. I will use it irresponsibly. Um, yeah, that's war games. War games is a really good, just kind of slice of 1980s, but also sort of a hacker movie before hacking was really a thing. Um, cause I did mention that, you know, it wasn't illegal to hack into a computer back then. Um, it wasn't illegal until, uh, the comprehensive crime control act of 1984. Oh. And part of that was based off of this movie. Um, then they they added on to it with uh, some other computer fraud and abuse act of right. like later in the eighties and so on um, to kind of make that and mm-hmm. but yeah prior prior to that and when this movie came out it wasn't illegal to to log into another computer like that which I just find fascinating yes so um, but yeah this movie is a lot of fun Matthew Broderick is great Ali Sheedy is great mm-hmm. I mean everybody is John Wood Dabney Coleman they're all good everybody kind of understood the assignment of this it's it is suspenseful but still Mm lighthearted in parts while getting a little heavy and philosophical in other parts Um, yeah i did find it fascinating that at the end of the movie um debbie colton his character hugged david his own father didn't hug him like his mother mm-hmm. did, but it was very stilted, you know, not close to his yeah. parents. You know what I mean? Like he's hugging these people. He's only known for like two days <laughs> or a day. Yeah. And, you know, he feels closer to them than. And, and I always wonder too, what happens when he went home? Is he grounded? <laughs> <laughs> like, did I just save the world and you're grounding me? Cause that's <laughs> the thing, right? Like, there, his parents aren't going to find out about any of that because it's all no. classified, top oh, right. secret, right? <laughs> exactly. So he's just going to get home, and his mom's going to be like, "Well, that's it. You're grounded for your next three yeah, lifetimes." Exactly. Like, <laughs> I hope, I hope you like that bedroom because you're never leaving it. Um, sorry, the yeah, internet's coming I mean, at some point. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, he'll be fine. Um, yeah, that's the that that is the big question of the movie. It's like, what's up with his parents, and when? What do they find out, and and when? Right. Because Basically, nobody outside that room should know about what happened and how close they got to launching the nukes on on Russia. Um, and it's like now you've got two 17 year old school kids who've got to keep that under under wraps, too. Or 
are they going to suddenly die in a car crash and move to, you know, Alaska or something and be right. isolated from the rest of humanity? Who knows? Um, that would have been a much better thing to base a sequel on than whatever the hell War Games The Dead Code is. Um, I don't even want to watch that. But if you get a chance, find the trailer for that and watch it. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Sure. It's it's terrible. Did they remake so bad, this but... movie? I thought uh, I saw something n- else as well. And I'm like, or is that like Not that I am aware movie? of. I mean, they've done, you know, this this movie has been kind of parodied. It's been re reimagined. Um, there was a war games TV series in 2018. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that, that maybe military brat, a band of misfits, hackers transformed from pranksters to leaders of an international movement. Mm, kind of, mm. maybe it would be, scene. yeah, it would be fairly interesting to kind of see something like this in a more modern era because you could add a lot more of machine learning and AI type arguments into mm-hmm. the equation. Whereas here we had, I mean, it was an artificial intelligence that was yeah. behind the Whopper and it could learn, but it was very rudimentary. Right. And that's why also they didn't believe him. Like a computer can't call you. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, now that would be uh, the worry that I would have in a modern setting with it is that they would overdo that. Yeah. And they would give the the AI too much intelligence uh, because of, you know, I mean, ever since Terminator and Skynet, mm-hmm. every AI is, is evil and going to destroy the world. Um, right. Except for the AI that I talked about last week on Bicentennial Man, mm-hmm. which was the hopeful AI. So it's kind of interesting to do this right after hmm. a movie like Bicentennial Man to then watch and discuss war games and the there there is an ai involved but it's so very different right um and it's such a different type of movie too so no, this did, was fun i'm really glad oh go ahead oh, i was gonna say did you notice there's a tron machine in the arcade mm-hmm. yes i was like nice <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah no i'm really yeah. glad you got to watch this this was a great choice yeah i i just always think about it see i thought um I thought it asked him to play a game and David had to tell him the at the end, no, I don't want to play. I, I didn't realize it was the computer that came back and said the only way to win is not to play. I thought, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was Matthew Broderick telling him that. Well, I like that because that's the thing that that Dr. Falcon could never get it to understand. Or, mm-hmm. or didn't teach it was the the idea of futility. And right. so for Matthew Broderick to be like, oh, get it to play tic-tac-toe, it'll figure out that you can't win the game. So what's the point of playing? And let's but go on to something else. But that's how he taught them. It, yeah. He yeah. taught them that. And mm-hmm. so that's why he cl- it clicks with him like, oh, we have to teach it the same way how you taught us about what that is. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's it fun. pretty cool. This is this was a lot of fun, and thank you for being on. It's been a while. Yes. Uh, I think the last time you were on yes, was City of Angels. Thank you for having me. Right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, Loved it. Now I record this show every Sunday night, eight PM Eastern Time. Twitch.tv/slash TV's Travis. You can come hang out, watch it uh, live when I record it, and then it comes out on Wednesdays. Anywhere you mm-hmm. get your podcasts, YouTube, 
all of that fun stuff. Um, I have uh, some fun stuff coming up next week. Uh, but before that, Kit, where can people find anything you're working on or anything um, that you're doing? I stream Friday nights with uh, Voldair and Mission Deep, also known as Brian Dunaway, on um, Mission Deep's channel uh, Friday nights at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Otherwise, Excellent. I'm in the Discord with uh, Mission Deep peeps. It's usually where you can find me. And I think you, you're still playing Baldur's Gate 3 on Friday nights, right? Yes. Is that what yep. you guys are doing? Yep. Yeah. That's cool. Very, very cool. Now, next week, uh, I have uh, another returning guest. Sirenex is coming back. Um, he has not seen everything everywhere all at once. I've never heard of it. And I adored that movie. It came out in 2022, so it's fairly new. Okay. Um, but it is, it is phenomenal. Uh, it was one of the best movies I saw that year. Um, stars Michelle Yeoh, Kihei Kwan, and um, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is in it as well. Hmm. Uh, it's a multiverse movie, mm-hmm. um, which it, it's one of the better movies I've seen in the last couple of years. It's phenomenal. Uh, so I can't wait to watch it again and then to talk uh, with him about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to get interesting. Let's put it that way. And it's going to be nice to have him back on the show. And we're talking about something other than John Wick for once. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So that'll be a lot of fun. That's what's coming up next week. Um, as always, I'm here every week. I'm also on all the social medias as TV's Travis, um, doing Highlander stuff, doing uh, Those Were the Days. You can go to tvstravis.com, find all the shows I'm working on, and also uh, links to merchandise. I've got the Patreon there. Um, you can support this show for as little as a dollar an episode uh, through Patreon, patreon.com slash WYHS. Um, so if you can do that, I appreciate it. If not, and you just listen to the shows, I appreciate that so much. Um, it's why I do it. I love doing the shows and I'm just going to keep doing them. I've got some fun stuff coming up this year too. I've got live episodes happening um, that are going to be happening at uh, places like Dragon Con Ooh, and, uh, and all sorts of fun stuff coming up. So definitely uh, keep an eye out on all the socials and tvstravis.com for any of that. But Kit, thank you. Thank you so much for being here this week. This was a ton of fun. Yes, thank you. Very excited to be back. Excellent. And uh, remember to enjoy your movies. And we're getting into 2024. So let's be excellent to each other. Okay? There's been wait you haven't seen. I'd piss on a spark plug if I thought it'd do any good. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this (laughs) program.